Welcome to Baseball Biz. I'm Mark Carpenter, host, and with me today is a fan, is a friend, <laughs> and a guy who loves the game. I'm talking with John Vampatella. He's also the author of The Forgotten Game, which is in, I've enjoyed that book. That's about game five of the 2004 ALCS. If you haven't read it, get it. I love it. There's a, a lot of history there, and, and maybe a couple of people that we'll talk about today who were in that game. Wow. How you doing, John? I'm doing great, Mark. It's really good to uh, talk to you again. Have a, I've had a good summer. Not not the uh, the best baseball summer from where oh. I sit, but you know it's been a, it's been a fun year otherwise. You know, I gotta say thank you to the Red Sox for your game on Sunday because <laughs> I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a great deal. Uh, anytime anybody's beating the Yankees at Yankee Stadium is fun, but doing it with such finesse. Michael Waka, as a race fan, we had him here for a little while, and I thought he was okay. I never felt like, oh, great, Waka's on the mound today. But boy, oh, boy, <laughs> I was glad if I was a Red Sox fan to see him on the other day because he just killed it. He was very impressive. You know, it was interesting when they signed him. It was one of those pretty low-budget, kind of classic high and bloom, at least high and bloom with the Rays kind of, kind of signings, right? He was he wasn't great. I remember back in 2013 when the Red Sox played the Cardinals in the World Series. Waka was supposedly the next great thing, throwing 97 miles an hour and and oh, yeah. uh, had unlimited potential. And he just never, I thought he never realized it. He uh, he never had the career that it looked like he was destined to have. And you know he was he was he was just okay. Right. He had a couple of pretty decent years, then a few years and the last three haven't been great. And so when the Red Sox signed him, I was like, oh, that's just a depth signing, which there's nothing wrong with that. You know, you can have you can have some he's a he's a professional, which is right. good, right. Um, but not the guy who's going to is going to carry your team. But he has been fantastic for the Red Sox. And I admit I was surprised. I, I just didn't expect a whole lot. And if you watch that game, which I'm sure you did on Sunday night, he was dominant he was he was moving the ball all over the place he was changing speeds he had Aaron Judge in a box uh you know which doesn't happen very often and it was just it was great to see uh I'm happy for him uh and of course anytime you beat the Yankees as you said it's a good day (laughs) yeah and I I gotta tell you I mean it was interesting too because like I said seeing Waka out there and I think it was it's been like since the last of June before he's been able to come out and play. Yeah, he got hurt, and and that was one of the knocks on him was can the guy stay healthy? And and of course he couldn't. He was he's been out for a while. But uh, what was actually surprising about the game on Friday was he, that he pitched what, that as well as he did, but that he went as deep as he did. You know, the coming off of an injury, you know, especially in today's game of baseball, which I know you and I have talked about, I really only expected him to go five innings, and he j- they just kept putting him out there and. And uh, he just kept mowing them down. It was it was fantastic. Well, you know, it was glorious, too. I mean, it was great seeing him, like I said, coming back out. And, and I, too, was surprised. Like, well, maybe he'll get four or five innings today. Maybe maybe they'll do that. Or maybe the Red Sox will put a starter out there today for a couple innings and somebody at the end. But no, 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 no. And But, but I enjoyed watching the man facing Aaron Judge. 
<laughs> I mean, two strikeouts. And I think Whitlock came in later in the game and struck him out again, too. Yeah. <laughs> Red Sox fans must have just been, well, uh, uh, my like I'm thinking of a game, but it must yeah. have been exciting. It was great. And there haven't been that many exciting moments for the Sox this year. So it was a good, it was a good weekend series. You know, Whitlock's another guy who uh, has been great for the Sox. He, he came over, I think it was a rule five pick from the Yankees organization. And so he's been the gift that keeps on giving, which is really nice. And the Red Sox signed him to a, a, a multi-year deal uh, for pretty, pretty cheap dollars. And he's been, he's been terrific. Um, so nice to see him, him back. He'd been hurt a little bit during the year as well. So nice to see him back. And, uh, you know, Aaron judge, I think we talked about this the last time, uh, we were talking, he's going to be one of those really interesting off season situations. You know, the Yankees offered him a ton of money. He turned it down. He's 30 years old and he's obviously a monster, right? Yeah. And he, he, he's, a, he's on pace for like 66 homers this year. And, you know, that hasn't been done since bonds. So, I mean, the guy's incredible, obviously, but you know, at his age, is he the kind of guy that you want to lock up for eight years at 35 million per, uh, there's only a handful of teams in baseball that can even handle a contract like that. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see. Ironically, one of the teams that he would fit perfectly is Boston. They, they really don't have much of a right fielder. Uh, Verdugo plays left. Obviously they don't have Mookie Betts anymore and they have going into next year. They'll have a assuming, well, I guess I'm making some assumptions. I'm assuming that JD Martinez might not be there. And I'm assuming that Xander Bogarts might opt out and not be there. So they'll have a huge need for a big right-handed bat. They have a big need for a right fielder. Judge is both of those things. And it would hurt the Yankees. It would be, in some ways, just a, a perfect signing for Boston to, uh, to sign him away. But you know, if you look at the history of this, now I'm on a now I'm on a roll here, Mark. So if if you if you if you look at the history of players going playing for both Boston and New York, it's almost never the case that the good player goes from New York to Boston. It's almost always that when a player goes from Boston to New York, the best part of their career happens with. The, you know, later on with the Yankees, you don't generally get it the other way, but that would be, I'm super intrigued to see what happens with him and whether the Red Sox even give him a run in the off season. I doubt it, but you never know. It's going to be interesting watch, but like you said, I'm also curious about the age and this year, while he has been healthy in past years, he's not, I mean, he, he's had where he's been out several days and don't want to spend too much time on the Yankees, but but as long as we're digging in on them, I guess I will. Uh, <laughs> by the way, how, hey, how, hey, hey, we can talk about how bad they're losing lately. I'm, I'm all fine with that. How's your Aunt Irene doing, anyways? Oh, well, she's <laughs> funny you mentioned her. She's, uh, you know, she didn't have much to complain about for most of the season because the Yankees were on like a 120 win pace for a long time, but they've lost like. I don't know, 12 of the last 14 or something like that. Yeah. And so she's, she's, she's posting things like pull up the kids. It's time, you know, <laughs> like, what is she giving up on the season? Like, come on in Irene. Like they're, they're still in first place by a lot. So she's, she's so funny. And uh, I, I love reading her uh, every day. It's, it's a Yankee post about this or that. <laughs> yeah. You told me before early in the season, 
that she had some comments and that's like, Oh, come on. They were, they were absolutely killing it. And they still are, but, but gosh, you know, and, and they're suffering. I mean, here's the funny thing. You look across the league and a lot of teams have had injuries and been suffering throughout, but the Yankees, they, they really didn't. I mean, LeMayhew was there. Uh, John Carlos Stanton was there. Uh, Matt Carpenter, when they brought him in, three big guys that aren't making it to the plate right now because they can't. They physically can't. And so that's got to be part of the situation. The other is, I think the Yankees don't believe in themselves without all those guys out there. I mean, Judge, how could he do all that the other day? I mean, three strikeouts with you guys and a ground out, I believe, too. It's, what what's going on? Uh, I, I mean, everything's been turned upside down. Stranger things. What what's what's going on out there, man? I don't know. Baseball is a funny, funny sport. They still have plenty of talent for sure. They've got a great rotation, a really solid bullpen. But you know, even even really good teams go through bizarre funks where suddenly nothing goes right. Uh, I have a feeling they're gonna they're gonna right the ship and be really good. They've just got too much talent, and obviously at some point Stanton will come back and Lemayhu come back, and and they'll be they'll be back to, um, well, I guess Lemayhu is back, but they'll be they'll be they'll be almost at full strength. I imagine. I don't know if Carpenter's gonna be back though. He might be done for the year. He his injury was pretty pretty significant, uh, and they've lost a couple of arms, but they're they're so overwhelming in terms of their total talent level. I certainly expect them to be right there at the end. Uh, I want to talk about the Orioles though. <clears throat> oh, I mean, it, yeah. it, it is, it is amazing to me what they have done. And it's very easy to say as a Red Sox fans, Oh my gosh, what a terrible year you behind Baltimore of all teams, but they've been for the last two plus months, they've been really, really good. And not just like good for Baltimore. They've been really good period. And I'm actually happy for that organization. They've gone through, uh, just so many seasons where they've been terrible and it's, it, you know, they're a proud franchise and a really good fan base and they play in a great stadium. And I've never had the animosity towards Baltimore that of course I have for the Yankees being a Red Sox fan, but you know, it's good to see Baltimore coming back and, and being a solid competitive team again. Yeah. I, I'm likewise. I was talking with Nathan from a uh, full count chaos a Baltimore podcast. And we were earlier on saying, well, you know, they're, they're looking good. We're seeing some of these new guys coming up, you know, where Rushman's what he's doing and, uh, oh yeah, this Mateo fella, he, he seems to be doing pretty good. Uh, wow. Right now I'm looking at the wild card standings and they're just out of it in the American league. Uh, the, the three wild cards at the top now are Seattle, Tampa Bay and Toronto. And Baltimore's only one and a half games out of being in the wild card. You know, they have just been doing outstanding. It's just, I, I don't know. I didn't expect it. We, we, the Rays were fortunate enough to get to take a series with them the other day. And it was, it's been fun watching them too, because Odor, as you know, he, he can be a little fiery fella. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and yep. he and the Pete Fairbanks kind of went back and forth, the pitcher for the Rays. But oh gosh. Well, the, the opportunity that Baltimore has. It, I don't want to say they're going to turn into the Astros, but if you remember, you know, it's been about five or six years that the Astros have been really good, but the way they, they got good was by being terrible for quite a while for five or six straight years where, the, where they won, you know, a relative handful of games a year. And they were able to build up their system 
They had tons of great draft picks. Those guys worked their way up into the majors and the core of those of the, their great Houston team all came through these great draft picks that happened because they were so terrible. Right. Baltimore is now starting to see the fruit of that process as well. And not that you'd, you'd rather be bad for a long time, but at least being bad does give you an opportunity to, uh, to improve through the draft and build an inexpensive talent base that can, can allow a team like Houston or, or, or Baltimore to add in just a couple of high-priced guys at the right spots to supplement a, an inexpensive young core that has talent. And you can, you can do some damage that way. And I think that's what they're trying to do. The, what's interesting, Red Sox fans are, are just complaining about Hein Bloom and his approach. And my thought is, you know, they, they won the World Series in 2018. And then the next year, they, they re-signed and, and gave out some huge contracts, uh, particularly the Chris Sale extension. But in order to win in 2018, they'd made a ton of trades, giving away prospects for talent. And it worked. They won the World Series and had the best team that the Red Sox have ever had with 108 wins. Right? They were, they were just awesome. So Dave Dombrowski's plan worked. Yeah. But it, it stripped the system pretty bare. And at one point, the Red Sox were like ranked 30th or 31st in MLB in, in terms of the, the quality of farm system. So, so they really had nothing left in the tank. And in comes Heimblum, and he's tasked with, with rebuilding the franchise. Well, he knows that the way to build it is to, is to have this great farm system that continually pumps out high-quality players, major league ready players, so that you have this inexpensive base to work with that has skill. And then you can add, and you know, with Boston, as opposed to Tampa, he'll have more money to work with to add in some of those high priced players as well. But that's how you have to build a franchise. That's what the Dodgers did. That's what Houston did. That's what you have to do. But he's also been trying to do that while still being competitive, Yeah, you know, without tanking for four or five years. And so that's why even during the trade deadline, you saw him, it looked like it, you know, if you're, if you're not really understanding what he's trying to do, it looked like they have no plan, right? It looked like, wait a minute, if, if you're, if you're punting on the season, that's why you trade away uh, Christian Vasquez, the catcher, but then why are you picking up Tommy Pham? Like, why, like, what are you doing? And it's like, well, because I think he still wants to be competitive while rebuilding the system. And I think, I think really about three years from now, the Red Sox have this pipeline of awesome prospects that should be just making their way into the majors. And I think the, he's setting the Red Sox up for tremendous success, but Red Sox fans just can't be patient. They just can't be patient. And the grumbling and you hear on, on WEEI radio is just unbelievable. It's like, you know, how, how privileged, how, how privileged we get, you know, I remember in 04 people said, if you know, if the Red Sox just win it one time, I'll never complain again. Right. And they've won it four times since then. Right. And they're still complaining. You know, Red Sox fans are still complaining. I think I understand what Bloom's doing. I think I understand it. I could be wrong, but I think I understand his plan and I'm on board with it. I'm okay with having a couple of years that are, you know, struggles uh, if it produces the kind of organization that he's looking to build. Yeah. And, I mean, looking at what's happening, first thing I say, Christian Vasquez, come on, really? I'm, what's what's going on here? 
And you, and then you said like he, he brought in Tommy fam, Tommy. Wow. You know, even then I thought, well, Tommy's kind of been off and on, but he likes a new challenge and he seems to be doing pretty well for you guys. Yeah, he's been fine. And, and uh, I don't know that he's all-star level player, but he, he, they, they needed an outfielder and he fit the bill. Reese McGuire's done. Okay. You know, behind the plate, he came over from the white Sox. So, so, you know, they just took two out of three from the Yankees. So they're, they're still being competitive. They're not great. They're still two under 500, but you know, it's not an epic disaster of a season that the Red Sox fans think it is They're you know, they're not 30 games under 500. They're, they're, they're competitive for the most part. The season has been a competitive season. You know, everyone wishes your team was better. Of course, I wish the Red Sox were 20 games above 500 rather than two games under, but, but I think they'll be, they'll just kind of have their nose you know, under the playoff tent, right. You know, uh, throughout the rest of the season, they may not make the playoffs. It probably won't give them that they're five games back. And there's like four teams ahead, you know, ahead of them for the wild card spot, but it should keep baseball interesting the rest of the way. And he's really setting up the organization for the future, which I really like. Well, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you know, as far as criticizing what bloom has done, it was, I think, about a week ago. It was Pedro Martinez, and he he had a few words. He was saying, "I just don't see where the path is leading for the Red Sox." To be honest, uh, let's see what else. they have a headache with Rafael Devers. Have a headache with the most consistent player they have ever had, Xander Bogarts, and they just got rid of Christian Vasquez, who figured that who figured that out in the middle of the field. It's hard for me to figure out what the mentality is. I, I don't know how much they know about their health, but their health has not really been impacted by the position players as much as it has been by the pitching staff. I think they need help in the bullpen, and I think they need help in the starting rotation. I think he said this before Chris Sale took a fall. but you know. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that was crazy too, huh? And, and I get that. I think that goes back to like, we expect something and we expect it right now. And what are you going to do about these guys? Ham? I mean, you, you got, to, well, I'm glad you got to sell back in, but we didn't really get sell back in for very long. No, no. I, but again, I think people are missing out on what he's trying to do. Like Vasquez, let's take that trade for a second. He, he's a free agent at the end of this year. Um, I think they like him. He likes being with the Red Sox. He's not an irreplaceable player. He's a, he's a, he's a solid catcher. Right. He, he used to be great defensively, but he's no longer great defensively. He's fine. And certainly he's an asset to the team. There's no question about that, but he's not this, he's not Johnny bench back there. And, and so losing him isn't the end of the world, but, but I think it was one of those cases where, where they thought, you know what, we can move him now, get something for him, and then he'll be a free agent. We can just re- we can just resign him. And I wouldn't even be surprised. I wouldn't even be surprised if that was part of the conversation they had with him before they traded him, saying, you know what, we're not doing very well. You deserve a chance at the playoffs. Right. This trade gives you a chance for the playoffs. It it gives us a little something in return, and we'd like to resign you. So go enjoy the rest of this year with Houston. And if you want to come back, we'd love to have you back. This isn't a move to get rid of you. This is a move to put you in a place where you can succeed a little bit better. um, And we can get some assets for you to build the organization up, but we'd really like you back next year. Like if that conversation happened and Vasquez is like, I like that idea, then this is a win, 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 you know, for the, for the Red Sox. And, and uh, they will have gotten, couple of interesting minor league pieces for 
you know, a couple of months of Christian Vasquez uh, in a year when the Red Sox aren't really going anywhere. Now, we don't know if that happened. We don't know if that conversation happened. Maybe they were trying to actually get rid of him. I don't know. But even if they were trying to get rid of him, he's not he's not like losing David Ortiz. It's not like trading away Mookie Betts. It's it's you know, it's a pretty decent catcher. That's all. It's not it's not the end of the world. Yeah. And, you know, people can't understand it looking at Bloom and some of these others, you know, we're not looking at the three dimensional chess that he's playing. He's looking, you know, five, six, seven moves ahead. And like you said, maybe a conversation did or didn't take place with Vasquez, but I can certainly see where it might have. And even if that conversation did, didn't, I could see that as a potential strategy that Bloom may employ later on. So yeah, it's, it's been interesting. I know people, they, they like certain players. They don't want to, but JBJ. Okay. <laughs> do you want, do you have anything to say about Jackie Bradley Jr.? Well, I, sure. I mean, he, <laughs> he was an integral part of the 18 championship squad and he is easily one of the best defensive center fielders I've ever seen. You know, he hot runs hot and cold with the bat his entire career. When he gets hot, you think maybe he's finally figured it out, you know, and for a month, he, he's, he smokes the ball, but then he falls back into not being a very good hitter. Uh, and I liked having him on the team. Uh, I think he's a wonderful outfielder, but he's not a very good hitter. And on the whole, it's not a huge loss to not have him. I, right. I wish it would have worked out because I like him. Right. And kind of what you were saying before, you, you tend to, you tend to root really hard for the players that you, you have some affection for. And I, and I have that with him. Uh, he was part of the, you know, the outfield with Ben and Tendi and Betts and Bradley. And, and that was a magical group that helped, helped them win the world series. So I'll always have a fondness for, for Jackie Bradley jr. Um, you know, I, I, I wish, I wish he was just better. I wish he was better. And you know, I wish he, he was helping the Red Sox instead. He's with another organization. And of course I wish him, I wish him well, and I wish him great success, but I think them, dealing him away, or I guess they designated him for assignment. He signed elsewhere. Um, just, it's not a crazy huge loss again. You know, it, it's not, it's not the end of the world for the Red Sox. Tommy Pham right now is probably a better player. So it, again, it, it, I, I never like seeing players I like go, but there are times when it's, it's not, it's not the worst move. Yeah. I get that. You know, what's interesting too is, uh, looking at Martin, Pedro Martinez's remarks and want him to talk about Rafi Devers. But Rafi Devers has been looking pretty – Rafael Devers has been looking pretty good in the last week. So when you, when you ask the question, you know, remember when Soto was on the trade block and it was a question of, you know, are they, who really wants to pay this guy $80 trillion to play yeah. baseball? And you think there's probably a relative handful of guys in the league who are worth those mega contracts. Judge is going to get signed to one of them. I don't know if he's going to be worth it because of his age and his, you know, he's been banged up over the course of his career. He's obviously an amazing player, but, but Devers is one of those guys you back the Brinks truck up for. He's 25. <laughs> he's an elite hitter an elite hitter, right? He's, he's, he's an awesome player and he's gotten better with the glove. Again, he's just 25. And he really hasn't had much of, of an injury history. He's, he's typically been very healthy. The sky is the limit for this guy. You could, you could sign him to a 10-year contract, and it would only take him through, through his age 35 season. So you're not even dealing with the late 30s 
that a guy like Judge, you know, his contract would take him through. So if you sign him from age 26 to 35, that's 10 years, and you expect, you know, elite performance over the course of those 10 years. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets a, a 10-year, $350 million deal. And if I was the Red Sox, I would sign him to that. Uh, I don't normally like the idea of these monster contracts, but the Red Sox organization has gotten under the luxury tax and, and financially they're in good shape. And he's the guy like I, I, I love Xander Bogarts. He's been a great player for the Red Sox, but he's 30. And, you know, if you sign him to one of those big deals, you're going to get, you know, the tail end of that or the second half of that is going to be a struggle and his power numbers are down you know, he's still a very, very good player, and I love the guy, and I would rather see him on the Red Sox, but not for that crazy money. But Devers is a different story. He's the one guy that I think the Red Sox should sign, especially he's a huge fan favorite. He, like every, everything, everything you could want in a player, he gives you, and again, he's only 25. Right. And, and so you're not talking about a guy in his thirties signing a big deal. Uh, this is a young guy who's worth every penny. If they, if they sign him to this monster contract. Yeah. You look at that baby face and if you didn't know any better, you say, Oh, is that the same guy I saw up there at the plate just a little while ago or who caught that ball and, and got that back over the first with a double play. Yeah. It's uh, I wouldn't be surprised they, had to, they like I said, had to pull up the Brinks truck for that. Uh, it, and I feel better in many ways about a player like him than, say, a Juan Soto. I think Juan Soto, not taking anything away from him, but I just feel like there's been so much hype around him. And to be quite honest with you, I did not anticipate that Washington was going to find a buyer, you know, for that. So what can I yeah. say? Yeah, no, well, see, the thing about him was that a team, a team trading for him, right, was going to get two-plus years out of him. But to give up the amount that they had to give up, right, to, to trade for him successfully, they have to be thinking to themselves, we, we want this guy long term. Yeah. So not only are you looking to spend a fortune on him in terms of a, a big contract, but you also have to give up a ton to get him. Devers is in a different category for the Red Sox because they, they already have him. Right? They drafted him. All, all you got to do is pay him the money. You don't have to give up anything else for him. And so that's why I think for them, he's a must sign. Uh, so, we'll, I mean, you know, we'll see what happens. Baseball is a business, but he's one of those guys that I think they have to, they have to sign him. And I would, I would actually be surprised if they don't uh, and, and, and disappointed, you know, because they have the resources to do it. And, yeah. and this isn't like the Mookie bet situation where financially they were strapped buried you know they were way over the luxury tax and 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 i understood what they were trying to do with that deal there's no reason to not sign devers there's really no reason not to well he's a he's one i'm always excited to watch out there i mean when he's when you guys are playing against the rays and i see him ever it's like i, I just kind of quiver a little bit when i see him come up to bat or a ball go in his direction on the field let me ask you a bit more i'm looking what's the rest of the season going to look like I mean, we just talked about briefly about Chris Sale. God knows what the man was doing on a bike just a, a week after the surgery on his hand. But, you, you know, I, I was really looking forward to seeing Chris on, on the mound. <laughs> and, oh, but, gosh, that was that that is one of the craziest stories. I, I I just can't believe what that guy has gone through 
you know, just trying to get back on a field. And, uh, you know, I don't know who had falling off a bike and, and breaking your wrist in the, in the office pool, but, but uh, whoever, whoever had it won a lot of money, but, you know, this is a guy who, who had, had came back from Tommy John surgery. He hurt his back during his rehab. He was finally okay. Takes the line drive off his pinky. Okay. Maybe six weeks from now, he'll be back. Oh, now he breaks his right wrist. It's like, it's like, Chris, go home, take the rest of the year off, get your body in good shape. You know, I guess on the bright side is he's a guy who's going to be what, 30, 33, 34 years old, but with very low mileage on his arm over the last few years, because he's hardly pitched. Uh, so that's the good thing, I guess. As for the rest of the year, uh, for the Red Sox anyway, since we're, we're on them, you know, they play Pittsburgh three straight on the road starting tonight. And then they have nine games in a row against AL East opponents. They're at Baltimore for three, then they're home for six, three against Toronto and three against your Rays. And, and uh, I think, you know, all those teams are in, in uh, competition, a tight log jam for the wild card. So the Red Sox have a chance to get themselves right back in this thing if they do really well. Of course, if they don't do well, it basically this this little stretch will basically bury them completely. Um, but they're playing a little bit better, and I, I would I would not be surprised if they if they actually had a good little good little run here. Uh, but you know, this is the 2022 Red Sox, so you, you never know. I, I uh, the sale the sale story was really sad because I really thought he could come back and give them some help, some needed help. Uh, Paxton is is apparently doing pretty well in his in his workouts coming back from his own injury. Maybe he'll be helpful because when he's helped when he's healthy, he's a good he's a really good pitcher. So there's another guy, by the way, that as you look towards 2023, they should have Sale and Paxton back, which will really be helpful for them. And the rotation should be in pretty good shape. But uh, we'll see how they we'll see how they do now. I, I still think the odds are are small that the Red Sox make the playoffs, but I'll, if we have a conversation after, uh, I don't know, September 14th, uh, or so, um, well, I guess actually not September 14th, more like end of August. I think, uh, I think we'll have a better handle on where they stand. Well, I wish them the best. I mean, I love all the teams, the ALEs and it's, it's been exciting and, and the Orioles, I think is, was kind of a surprise for a lot of folks, but it shouldn't have been because that's the team that's been building and see, that's what I'm thinking about the Red Sox. That is what the Orioles have been doing the last few years is building this team, you know, making some smart decisions. And that's probably what Heim Bloom is doing right now. Of course, Heim Bloom right now, one of his biggest challenges is finding out who has a daggone voodoo doll for, for Chris Sale exactly, <laughs> and get exactly. that taken. But it's, it's a, still going to be an exciting year for the Red Sox, you know. And like I said, I love watching you guys take out the Yankees and, <laughs> and contribute to their little stretch of losses. So uh, what's what's that German word for enjoying somebody else's suffering? Scheidenfried, Scheidenfried or something that's, like that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah. Well, I, I'm guilty of that, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, it is it is uh, it is a to me my two favorite things in baseball are when the Red Sox win and when the Yankees lose. So so when the Red Sox beat the Yankees, it's even it's even better. All you know? right. So. All right, man. Well, I'll tell you what, any uh, other things you think we should cover today? That, well, uh, I did want to ask you, we were talking about big contracts. Mm-hmm. And we have to talk about Tatis a little uh, bit here. Yeah. Right? So I don't know what you make of his story, 
about the ringworm and the medication, you know, I don't know, but I just think here's a guy who just signed a monster contract. He's obviously one of the premier talents in all of baseball and he's suspended for 80 games and boy, what a, what a situation. And I, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, what. Just let me just stop because I'm still a little bit of a loss over this one. What What have you been thinking about that? Oh, gosh. First, I thought, how in the hell can you do something so stupid? I don't care if you're taking it for PED or ringworm. If you're going to take that much money, if you're thinking about taking Tylenol for a headache, sit down and talk with the, the doctor for the team because you've got too much at stake. That team has too much at stake. And from what I've seen with the interviews with the players, they're not exactly too compassionate about the whole thing. You know, they're not seeing very happy about it for sure. Oh, no, 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 no. But some of them say, you know what? We've done well without him this year. We'll do well without him throughout the rest of this year. And when, when he's hearing that it should have, that bell in his head should have rang long before all this happened. And I am dismayed that somebody with that much talent (laughs) is, is in this situation. And even if it's like said, the ringworm thing, have enough sense to say anything, anything that you're going to put in your mouth, have it, have somebody on the team look at it and say, Oh, you know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Fernando. That that's not going to be the one you need to take. Uh, I, I don't get it, brother. I really yeah. Don't. It just, it, you know, you and I um, will not lose our jobs if we take a steroid, right? Um, it's, it's not good for us to take them, I guess, I guess unless they're medically prescribed, for various things, but, you know, as a, as a performance enhancer, it's not good for us to take them. They, they have, they have negative side effects, but you and I aren't going to lose our job over it. No. When, when, when you're a professional athlete and you get tested for this stuff, you know, there's a chance that, that you could get busted and face a really harsh, long suspension. He's, he's facing 80 days. Right. That, if that, if that all takes place next year, that's half the season, you know, one of the best players in the game gone and it really hurts your team. And, and uh, it doesn't seem that hard. Like if you're, if you're truly trying to be on the up and up, it just doesn't seem that hard to do what you just suggested. Look, I, I might have my own personal doctor, but every time he prescribes something, I'm running it by my team doctor so that they can say, oh, nope, you can't take this because this will trigger a steroid uh, positive. Okay, we have to come up with an alternative solution then for whatever it is I'm dealing with. I can't take that drug. Okay, like it, does, it just doesn't seem that hard, right, to do that. So that tells me that he probably wasn't trying to be that careful. At, at, at a minimum, he wasn't trying to be that careful. And, you know, kind of at, at worst, he was trying to do something he shouldn't have done. I got to tell you, I look at these young men and I think they got all this great talent, but what they don't have is the wherewithal of how to deal with things day to day. And some of that's from experience. And I believe teams really need to almost hold their hand through life for a while. Uh, I look at the Tampa Bay Rays, <laughs> poor Wander Franco. My heart goes out to him. He lost $650,000 worth of jewelry he left in the car, okay? <laughs> they got about a half a million dollars of it back. But excuse me, it's, if your brain is so much on baseball and you do these other things, but you don't see any, anything beyond potential repercussions or, or things that could go wrong, 
there's an issue. And that's where I think there almost needs to be somebody like a mentoring or, or holding a hand, put leaving $650,000 worth of stuff in the car. That shouldn't take a whole lot of common sense. And, and taking a, a substance in your mouth and you're seeing, I'm, I'm jumping here a little bit, but looking at Ozuna, you know, for a spouse of, you know, what he was doing that domestic situation. And there should be penalties. Yeah, for, for 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 that, I mean, clearly, right? That's yeah. that's that's actual criminal behavior, and and um, even though that's outside of baseball, yeah, you know, there's this there's a saying that the the young that the male brain doesn't really <clears throat> doesn't really get fully formed until age 25, and and I I don't know how much that's true, but I work with college students, and uh, and you know, I've seen my own kids grow up, and I think there's a lot of truth to it. You know, there's just an, an immaturity and that doesn't take anything away from their talent or their ability to do great things. And, and um, there's, there's some incredibly smart 20 year old men uh, who, who do amazing things every day. But I've also seen plenty of, plenty of young men who's, who just don't seem to, the, all the wiring doesn't seem to be, you know, quite fully connected on some of these just kind of basic, rational, common sense kind of things. I do think some of it's experience, but I think some of it's this too, Mark, like when you're that age, you remember what it was like to be, I mean, it was a long time ago for us, but like, you remember what it was like, you feel, especially if you're that gifted at something and you're a pro athlete, you feel invincible. You feel like you can do anything because up to this point in life, you have been able to do anything, right? You're at the top can you imagine, I can't imagine being a top 20 person in my field in the world ever in my life. I can't imagine being that good at something at any point in my life. Never mind, you know, 23 years old, I'm already one of the one of the 20 best baseball players in the world. Like I can't even imagine what that does to a person in terms of their feeling like I can I can do anything. I can kind of get away with anything. I'm invincible. Nothing's stopping me because nothing has stopped him before, you know, up to this point in life. And so, I don't know, I guess it's, it's, it's not that hard for me to see how a person can fall into that. And especially, and I'm not saying this is true of him because I don't know, but especially if this is, if part of what, part of the reason for his success, maybe he's been using for quite a long time. And so maybe he's thought, you know, I've gotten away with it for this long and what's to stop me now that's not an accusation because i don't know that i don't know what his situation is but but that's a possibility and so i don't know i i just think these guys think think they're invincible and and uh just nothing can get in their way from from them doing what they want to do well like you said when they're they're at the top of their game they're seen as you know some of the best in the world and they think bullets will bounce off their chest you know that's that's a, a setup for disaster and you and I, as parents, we see our children. Sometimes you say, well, they, they've got, I see they're going to make a mistake here. I, I can go ahead and grab them right now and save them from that, or I'll, I'll let them go ahead and they're going to learn from this. And it's hard to do, but <laughs> somebody needs to be stepping in with these young men and the cataclysmic proportions of what happens in their career and the people that depend upon them. Somebody needs to be beside them. And, and I'm not going to go down this road a lot, but I look back to the documentary on uh, Doc Gooden and Strawberry, you know, Dale Strawberry. And these were two young men who got caught up with a, a lot of things with narcotics and, uh, you know, destroyed an early career in many ways. But 
I, I got to feel, John, that there's a way to help guide these young people during difficult times, you know, exciting times, difficult times too. Yeah, for sure. And, and honestly, the work that I do with athletes, so I work in, uh, I think we've talked about this a little bit, but I work in, in uh, sports ministry at, at UConn and, and it's part of, part of my job is to help equip these guys with tools for life tools for how to make wise decisions, tools for, for thinking through things and thinking about life outside of their sport, because for the vast, vast, vast majority of them, they'll never play a second of professional sports. And this is the highest level they'll ever get to, which is still a remarkable achievement, but, but they need, they need help, you know, with guidance for life. I remember having a conversation with a, with an athlete a few years ago and and uh, he was talking about all these cool things that he had bought. And I said, you know, where do you, where do you get the money for all this? And he said, oh, I just use my credit card. I'm like, use your credit card. And I'm like, I mean, I use my credit card a lot, but I pay it off every month, you know, so, so I just get the bonus points. This isn't a financial seminar, but the idea was he had no idea that you get charged interest. You know, he was paying off the minimum of his, of his credit card. And he had no idea that he was losing money every month. And it, and it was just one of those things that there's so many basic things in life that this this particular population just doesn't have the experience with and doesn't necessarily have the knowledge over. There, there are some that do, but there are plenty that don't. And so we talk to these students about all these kinds of things. And, and it's I feel pretty passionately about helping young men and women who are in this pressure cooker, even the division one level of the athletic student athlete, the life of a student athlete is, is a is a pressure cooker. And we and we work hard to equip them with tools to help them not only navigate their time as a student, but long afterward, because I see what, what you're talking about. And once they're in the pros, they're beyond my reach, but we try to get them while they're in college and try to help them while they're here. And, and uh, it's just been a passion of mine for 30 plus years. And, and, um, and I, you know, I wish we could do more to help more, more students, more, more athletes. Um, but we do what we can because I see the same exact, things that you are seeing. And, uh, there's a lot of help that's needed. Well, as a parent and somebody who enjoys athletics and somebody who just wants to see people grow, I want to thank you, John, doing what you're doing with the folks there at UConn. It's essential to give guidance. I mean, whether to our own children or our players that we may be working with, because only with that, are they going to have a rich and fulfilled life and be able to share that with others. And I'm getting a little bit on the podium here. So forgive me, but uh, John, it's, I tell you what, it's what you're doing to makes a difference. So thank you for that. Well, I appreciate it. It's it's been a blast for me, and it really does tie into what we're talking about because you know baseball isn't isn't just a great game. It's a it's a game played by people we fall in love with, and 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 I'm not a you know I don't root for for Tatis's baseball team. I root for the Red Sox. But can you imagine being one of his fans who? who has purchased his Jersey and it's like Devers for me. Right. I like, I, I love that guy. And, and so I have a vested interest, not only in how they perform on the field, but I want to see them do well. I want to see them Like, I don't want to see their lives go off the rails. I want to see them live happy and fulfilling lives. And of course I want to see them do well on the field. Um, so when, when you see them make decisions like this, it makes you think, boy, could something have been done to prevent that? And of course, the answer is yes. There's all kinds of things that can be done, um, and so part of even running an organization like like the Padres have a vested interest 
in keeping a guy like him clean? How much money are they going to lose by him not being on the field, you know, for 80 games? I don't know, but it's not going to be just a couple of bucks. It's going to be a a large amount of money. And, and so you think teams would do more, like whether you're talking about mentoring or something, you think teams would do more to actively step into their players' lives and, 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 and keep them on track because uh, again, it, it affects their bottom line as well. Oh yeah. Well, John, I appreciate you being here today and talking about the Red Sox and us talking about athletes health and uh, the mentality that it takes to kind of get through the day and not just with athletes, but everybody. It's exciting times uh, and enjoying baseball, but I, we enjoy those players. So uh, what, what anything of uh, any final predictions on the Red Sox, anything, expectations high i think the Sox will fall short i think they'll keep it interesting through most of september but i would i would suggest that by the last week or so they're officially out um and uh and by then we will have been into patriots football so uh, most most new england sports fans will be okay with that uh and then i think we'll see a very interesting off season um i do think the AL East will get minimum of three teams in the playoffs. And it wouldn't shock me if all, if everyone but Boston makes it, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if there are four playoff teams in the AL East. Yeah, we'll keep our ear to the ground and watch. And, uh, you know, it's the, anytime you guys beat the Yankees, it's all right by me. So uh, continue, <laughs> continue on. And so I, anyway, thank you, John, for being here today. Just want to remind everybody, we're talking with John Van Patella, the author of the forgotten game and big time fan of the Red Sox. It's been a pleasure having him here today. And, John, we hope to have you again back sometime soon. Hey, anytime, my friend. I appreciate it. All righty. I want to thank all of you again for joining us here today on Baseball Biz. Also, again, thanking John Vampatella, author of the book The Forgotten Game. And that's a great one. If you haven't had a chance to read it, please do so. You can find me, Mark, at the Baseball Biz on Twitter. And you can find the Baseball Biz podcast here on Spotify, on iHeartRadio, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, and everywhere. So go ahead and you'll leave us some notes, subscribe, like, and we'll look forward to talking with you guys again real soon. Special thanks to X Take RUX for the music rocking forward. <laughs>